Welcome to the NDA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. With a little bit of a break in between the conference finals and the start of round four of Cavs Warriors, I figured this would be a great time to go over the all-league teams, the all-NBA teams, the all-defensive teams, and the all-rookie teams. The NBA released their results for those recently, and with a break in actual basketball, I figured it'd be a perfect time to talk about it. So I'm here today with Jordan Christmas and Nathan Smith. Jordan, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, We're here at the end of the season. It's been a long time. Time is also a flat circle because we now have the fourth year in a row of Cavs Warriors. So that's good, I guess. And Nathan, how about you? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a great NBA playoffs. I know we are on the fourth round of Cavs Warriors, but I'm here for it. I'm ready. It's uh, a different flavor to this fourth time around with the current Cavs team, and I'm excited to see what happens. And we have a Cavalier and a Warrior right off the bat on the first team we're going to talk about today. We're going to start with the All-NBA teams, and we're going to start with the All-NBA first team of James Harden, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis. James Harden and LeBron were unanimous selections. They are also, along with Anthony Davis, two of the three finalists for the MVP award. Now. I think that most of the first team was pretty close to consensus, but there were a couple of players on the first team that I think there's at least an interesting debate as to whether they should have been on the first team. And I want to start with Damian Lillard on that front. Yeah, this was one of those things where Steph Curry's injury really was the only reason that Damian Lillard made the first team. I Damian Lillard was great post-January. He really turned it up pretty much when the new year turned and led the Blazers to a near 50-win season. So it was one of those things where Damian Lillard turned up his place so much that I thought he was actually deserving of the first team spot. But um, really, if Stephen Curry didn't, if Stephen Curry you know, played more than 51 games this year. I think he would have won that pretty handily. But um, I thought Damian Lillard was definitely a worthy candidate. And I don't think that his playoffs, you know, where he was terrible against the Pelicans and they got swept, I don't think you should be retroactively, you know, dinking somebody for performing really poorly in the playoffs. It's something we do every year that I don't understand. Yeah, I completely agree. Certainly, if you were to evaluate uh, Damian Lillard's season based on the playoffs, he wouldn't even come close to sniffing the third team. But I totally agree that because this is supposed to be a regular season award, Damian Lillard's spot makes sense. It was kind of the perfect storm in terms of not only Steph Curry, but also Chris Paul and Kyrie Irving all playing uh, around 60 games or fewer. Um, Because of that and because of Dame's MVP candidacy, even though he is probably a distant fourth or fifth. I think that a spot makes sense, but certainly Curry, Paul, or Irving would arguably be more deserving if they would have played a full 80 to 82 games. The other first team selection that I thought was intriguing, at least, I thought that Anthony Davis, James Harden, and LeBron were basically locks. I guess I was a little surprised at Kevin Durant being on the first team, which sounds a bit weird given that, you know, he was the leading player for the Warriors who ended up with the third best record of basketball. That being said, 
the Warriors are also clearly driven more by Steph Curry than Durant. If you look at on-off stats, the Warriors were the best three-point shooting team in the league by far with Steph Curry on the floor, and they were 29th during the stretch of the season that he missed. I mean, Steph's shooting gravity is really what makes the Warriors the Warriors. And so having their, at least in my mind, pretty clearly second best player being on the first team All-NBA was a bit strange to me. Then again, Durant is pretty indisputably one of the five best players in basketball, probably pretty close to indisputably one of the three best players in basketball. I guess just for me, given the strength of the rest of the Warriors squad and a couple of people that we're about to talk about when we get to the second team, I think that Durant was a clear All-NBA choice, but I'm not sure he should have been on the first team. Well, um, I mean, the other choices, I guess, would have been Giannis, I mean, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, you know, guys that we're going to be talking about later. But, I mean, if you think about it, Kevin, like, the Warriors still did get the third best uh, record in basketball because, you know, Kevin Durant was able to hold the fort down while Steph had his various injuries throughout the season. And like you said, Nick, I mean, Kevin Durant is pretty much near consensus, if not complete consensus, a top three player in basketball. So it's also part of it is also part of reputation, but also Kevin Durant is, you know, better than Giannis, better than all the other forwards. And he was on the third best team in basketball. And he did hold I mean, for the first, I remember when we did the uh, quarter season awards podcast, we had Kevin Durant, I think, fifth in the MVP rankings. Now, granted, that doesn't matter because of the sample size and all that stuff. But Kevin Durant was holding the fort down whenever Steph did go down. And we all know, you know, Steph's better when the Warriors are out there. But Kevin Durant, I thought what I thought he was also pretty much unanimous in my mind. I thought he should have been there. I completely agree with that. I think if you were to take one of the players off the first team, Lillard or Durant would be the choice, but we just covered Lillard, of course, and with KD, he is definitely a top three player in the world, and it's more so the fact for me that he's going to start off on the first team. As the season goes along, somebody has to really, really make it obvious that they've outplayed him or that they deserve that first team spot over him. Because of the way that LaMarcus Aldridge really played a huge role for the Spurs with Kawhi missing almost the entire season, I wouldn't have a huge problem if he would have made the first team. Um, Same with Giannis, but I'm not necessarily clamoring for it. So all in all, I think it's a fine first team um, as long as those two guys, LaMarcus and Giannis, are on the second team. I have no qualms. I'm, I'm fine with it. So speaking of those two guys on the second team, let's actually run through the second team All-NBA really quickly. So the guards were Russell Westbrook and DeMar DeRozan. The forwards were Giannis Adetokounmpo and Lamarck Saldridge. And at center was Joel Embiid. I would have had Giannis on the first team over Kevin Durant. I just think that the impact that Giannis had in every single area of the floor other than shooting, obviously. But his all-around impact for the Bucks, I think, was more important just because the Bucks without Giannis would have probably been a 30-ish win team, especially given the amount of injury time that they had. Not to mention anybody that can make the playoffs with Jason Kidd as their coach deserves, you know, huge commendations. And the fact, you know, that the Bucks season looks a lot better in hindsight after they 
played the Celtics the seven games and the Celtics almost made it to the finals over the Cavaliers. Now, I understand Durant being on the first team ahead of Giannis, and I don't think it's a bad call by any means. I don't think it's anything close to indefensible. But for me personally, I just think Giannis had a bigger impact for a team that needed him a lot more than the Warriors needed Kevin Durant. I think that Giannis's impact was much bigger than Kevin Durant. Um, and that's, that's why I would definitely be okay with the swap. Clearly, if you take Durant off the Warriors, they're still probably a better team. Actually, they are definitely a better team than, um, than if you were to take Giannis off. Really, now that you mention it, I really do think Giannis probably should be moved ahead of KD on that team. But like I said, it's not the most egregious thing. As far as um, DeRozan or Westbrook or Embiid, I don't think they necessarily should have been on the first team. My biggest change, if any, would definitely be to move Giannis there. Um, I don't think you can take off James or Davis in the front court, so you'd probably have to just move Durant and put Giannis into that group. Yeah, I I could definitely see your I could definitely see your point, Nick. I mean, Giannis was Giannis was incredible this year. Um, I do think the Bucks definitely had some had some uh, winnable games that they should have won, even with. And, you know, I've definitely have, you know, tweet tweet ranted about Jason Kidd's coaching and then somehow the Bucks hire an even worse coach as their interim head coach and Joe Prunty. But there were still some games where I thought Giannis could have won on his own. And that's definitely not to a fault of his own. But I just thought winning definitely factored in. And Kevin Durant did keep the Warriors afloat, as I men- mentioned earlier. Um, one of the things I wanted to say was... Uh, I wanted to go on a little mini rant and it's not going to be long because, you know, we'd be here all day if I was going to talk about this particular subject. But I don't know why we do this every year. We all season all re- We all know before the season starts that all NBA teams, all rookie teams, all defensive teams are regular season accomplishments. We talk about them all year. We do quarter award podcast, halfway through the season podcast, all that stuff. There's all kinds of content, people giving their mock all NBA teams and stuff. Can we stop retroactively trying to punish these players and trying to take away what they accomplished during the regular season? Like DeMar DeRozan has become like a big topic of discussion. And we all know for the Raptors for the last few years, Kyle Lowry has been the better player, the more important player. But I actually thought DeMar DeRozan was slightly better than Kyle Lowry this year, considering Kyle Lowry had a really slow start to the season on both ends of the court. And Kyle Lowry shot well to end the season. But I thought DeMar DeRozan became better as a passer. Um, he was able, he was more willing to take the three. Um, he was willing, he was a more improved pick and roll player. I also thought he improved defensively, even though that's not really saying much because we're talking about DeMar DeRozan here, but I really thought DeMar DeRozan was the better Raptor this year. And I thought he was definitely deserving of second team because it's a regular season award and the Raptors have the best regular season in their franchise's history. Russell Westbrook, I mean, you could talk me into having Steph Curry on the, on the second team, honestly, because at what point can we, uh, at what point is the cutoff for penalties for lack of games played? Um, but Russell Westbrook is definitely, I mean, he has a case for second team, so I'm not making too much of a gripe there. But uh, the big thing was I just saw a lot of blowback you know, after the Raptors just got 
LeBron in the playoffs and them ret- trying to retroactively, you know, take DeMar DeRozan completely off the all NBA teams. And that's just something that I don't like. I completely agree. I think the regular season awards need to be, um, need to be just that. Of course, um, with Damian Lillard, you could argue that he shouldn't be on any of the teams if he were to be, if the uh, postseason were to be included. The biggest thing with DeMar DeRozan that people need to respect as well is the year-to-year changes that you alluded to. Um, it's not easy to go from being a predominantly mid-range player to somebody that takes a lot of threes and, as the star player, adjusts to a different scheme. Not only does Dwayne Casey deserve some credit for that, um, but DeRozan really does as well. In multiple interviews, he's remarked about or made remarks about the big improvements that he uh, tries to, to break down over the summer and focus on a couple at a time. From year to year, he's always focused on making uh, one or two big improvements and working with his trainers on a regimen that will get him to that point. Very similar to uh, Gordon Hayward's story in terms of how he kind of adds a new layer every year. So for me, I think with the amount of work that DeRozan put in, um, and because this is a regular season award, which is when the Raptors succeed, I think that DeRozan's spot is solidified on the second team. The interesting thing with both DeRozan and Damian Lillard is that if they announced these awards right after they were voted on, no one would have any problem with any of this. And it really does confuse me, quite honestly, that the NBA has decided we're going to have this big award show right after the playoffs, you know, for all the major NBA awards. And we're just going to kind of release the all NBA, all rookie, all defensive teams, just sort of in the middle of May, in the middle of the playoffs. Just sprinkle it throughout the playoffs. (laughs) Or, I mean, I think what would make a lot more sense is like they do all of the voting right after the regular season ends. Is there any reason that they can't just, after the first round, especially if they're going to release these teams just randomly in the middle of the playoffs, you know, do it before the playoffs start. The way that they did it this year made no sense on a number of different fronts. If you're going to make the awards show the big thing, okay, save all the awards for the awards show. If you're not going to make the awards show the big thing and you're going to release all of the all-NBA, all-defensive, all-rookie teams before that awards show, why not release them right away? Or at least why are you doing it such that the releasing of these teams is sort of an afterthought in the middle of the playoffs? And that hurts both DeMar DeRozan and Damian Lillard. If the all-NBA teams had come out right before the playoffs started, which was also, by the way, right when they were voted on, no one would have any problem with Damian Lillard on the first team or DeMar DeRozan on the second team because, okay, it's a regular season award. They were both really, really good in the regular season, and the voting reflects that, as opposed to this, which just, it's sort of a slapdash thing that I don't really get as to why they're not really picking in favor of the award show, but also not really tying these objectively regular season awards to the regular season. I completely agree. I think that they would be best served to pick one or the other. Um, I'm all for the award show, but they're going to make that a big spectacle, as you said. They should just leave it all until then. My thing that I wanted to kind of go on a mini rant about is um, when you see the voting and you see guys like Trevor Ariza getting one vote for the third team. Oh, Dwight Howard got a vote too. Dwight Howard. Like, who, who's letting who vote? You know, what are, what are the credentials of people voting for, for Trevor Ariza, you know? That, that's, that's my biggest thing that I'd like to, 
like to see stopped because I'm not really sure how the votes broke down, but if the difference was 12 votes versus 11 votes or however they do it for somebody making the second or third team and the guy that won by one or missed out by one was a result of somebody voting for Trevor Ariza. And I love Trevor Ariza. Um, that's just something we don't, we don't really need to see. That's just silly. So What's interesting is they release the numbers of the votes, but they don't release who actually voted for what which is also really strange. I think all of it's honestly really strange. But anyway, let's move on from that to talking about the third team, which was Steph Curry, Victor Oladipo, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Carl Anthony Towns. And I had two major gripes with the third team, especially with the context of the first team and the second team. But I wanted to let you two go first. What were your thoughts on this year's third team? Well, one thought of mine is that the guard spot was near impossible because, you know, Kyrie Irving also had a case. Um, I mean, somebody good was going to be left off the list. Kyle Lowry, like I mentioned earlier, turned it on, you know, post all-star break and was really, and was pretty much back to his old form. And he was definitely making a run at it. Um, my two biggest things is, and look, I'm a, I'm a big Paul George guy. I've loved Paul George, uh, since his days in Indiana. I think the dude is a beast. I think he's a top 15 to 20 player in the 15 to 20 range. You can argue, but I really thought that, you know, post all-star break, he was not great offensively. And I know he was still good defensively, but the Thunder's um, defensive rating really took a hit when Andre Roberson went down. And that's not solely on Paul George, but um, I really thought Paul George's offensive numbers dipped. He shot 38% post all-star break and shot 32% from three. And I honestly thought Ben Simmons and, you know, it's going to sound really bad because I'm a Sixers writer. I'm a Sixers fan and I love Ben Simmons but I really thought Ben Simmons deserved a third All-NBA team spot over Paul George. I just thought Ben Simmons was incredible, save for a mini slump in December where he wasn't scoring the ball well. And I thought he was spectacular. And, you know, post-All-Star break, he was putting up um, he was putting up uh, 14 and a half points, nine rebounds and 10 assists a game with a 60% true shooting percentage and was, you know, the driving force for the second half of a 16 game winning streak and was the lead ball handler on a 52 win team and was somebody who can switch all four positions, can guard point guard, shooting guard, small forwards and power forwards. I really thought Ben Simmons had a really, really strong case to make it over Paul George and my other one is I love Carl Anthony Towns and I love his offensive production, but Jimmy Butler should have been the only Timberwolf to make it. I completely despise the Celtics. I hate that we're going to have to face the Celtics for the next seven to 10 years, probably, but Al Horford should have been the third team um, all NBA center. Al Horford was arguably the Celtics best player. Some people would pick Kyrie. I would argue Al Horford had a little bit more importance because Al Horford was their best defender. He was their best passer. He was the guy who, you know, there's all these jokes about, you know, Oh, Al Horford does all the little things, but he only averages six rebounds, but he spaces the floor. He sets screens. He runs the offense. Brad Stevens, um, 
trusts him in the post. And you saw in the playoffs, he was definitely worthy of that max contract. And just as someone who watched Al Horford destroy Joel Embiid for most of that series, I and I know it, we, I just went on a rant about postseason, regular season. I just thought Al Horford was doing that all year, regular season. And Carl Anthony Towns is nowhere near in the same stratosphere or same universe as a defender as Al Horford. And Al Horford was the best player on the second best team in the East with the best defense in the NBA. So I thought Al Horford should have definitely made the third team. I thought he got snubbed, and I don't use the word snub too often because I think it's a word that is a buzzword people just throw out there. But I really thought Carl Anthony Towns should not have been on the third team. I think that you said it all for Al Horford. Um, not only is that my exact point of view, but I have every reason not to like the Celtics as well. Um, <laughs> you being a Philly fan, me being a Lakers fan. So I'll, I will leave the Al Horford talk there because you summed it up very well, my friend. But um, Carl Anthony Towns, I'm a big fan of him. He will be more polished as you know the next couple seasons unfold. Oh, yeah. He's not nearly polished enough to be on the third team right now. Al Horford does deserve that spot um, as far as Paul George. And I probably shouldn't be saying this as a representative of Lakers Twitter, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, due to the second half of the season that he had where he kind of fell off, as you alluded to a bit, I don't really think he should be on the third team. I think there's a couple other guys that could have got it. Um, if you were to just go wing for wing, well, not really wing, but if you were to go non-front court for non-front court, um, I think Ben Simmons is the guy. I don't think that you're being biased at all when you say he should have been on the third team there. I think that if you watch the impact he had all year, despite no shooting game whatsoever, the impact was phenomenal. And I don't think it's out of the question at all for him and Embiid to wind up on all NBA teams. Um, as far as Oladipo, he's my NBA most improved player, so I think his spot is definitely um, definitely well-deserved. He was fun to watch this year, man. I loved watching Victor Oladipo play. He was. He sure was. He led, led the league in steals, and just the energy he uh, brought to that to that Indiana home crowd was was amazing. I mean, he's obviously a player they always – have already loved um, since he was an Indiana Hoosier back in his NCAA days. Um, with that final two spots that I haven't mentioned, I'm fine with Jimmy Butler. I know he missed some games, but he really um, ascended to his role as leader of that uh, Timberwolves squad. Uh, as far as Steph Curry, I don't have a problem with it. Um, obviously, Steph Curry is amazing, but to me, that's kind of kind of sort of a revolving spot that could have easily gone to Chris Paul or Kyrie Irving. Um, again, it's unfortunate that all three of those all-stars missed, missed enough games to where it is kind of a debate because if we're just drafting teams and just drafting players, they probably all are off the board within the top 15 picks. But because of the way the season unfolded, um, it's not the most egregious thing that they, that only one of those three, three guards made it. So I'm fine with that. I forgot about Chris Paul. I'm disgraceful. I forgot to mention Chris Paul's name too. He definitely should have been uh, had a had a case for third team. I was on record earlier this year of saying uh, Chris Paul would have made my all overrated team, and I had to eat those words very quickly. I uh, had to own that cold take. <laughs> I was actually going to bring up Chris Paul. Since we've now gone through all three of the teams, I just wanted to run something by the two of you, which is. 
I would have made a couple of changes, minor changes to the all NBA teams. I would have, first of all, replaced Paul George with Al Horford. Then I would have moved Victor Oladipo up to second team and then had the third team be Steph Curry and Chris Paul with DeMar DeRozan off the ballot. And I don't think that's something I would have shied away from before DeMar's playoff performance. I just think that the impact that Chris Paul has on both ends of the floor, even having only played 58 games, I think was worthy of him getting a third team slot. Also, I mean, Steph Curry is a more impactful player than Chris Paul. I don't think many people are going to disagree with me on that one. He did also play seven fewer games. And I think if Steph Curry's 51 games were good enough for all NBA third team, that Chris Paul's 58 games were good enough for all NBA third team. On the one hand, it would have been a bit weird to not have a single representative from the top seed in the Eastern Conference on the All-NBA teams, at which point maybe I would have been fine with swapping Jimmy Butler and DeMar DeRozan, especially if Carl Anthony Towns is going to be the center. Do you guys think that it would be a bit hot takey for me to leave DeMar DeRozan off entirely? Because I really do think that Chris Paul deserved pretty solid mention for a third-team slot. No, I don't I don't think it's a hot take at all. Look, the, as I'm... As we have established, the guard spot was nearly impossible this year. This was a good year if you were a guard. And I do disagree with you because I do think that not having a representative from the best uh, team in the Eastern Conference is weird. And not only that, I don't think Kyle Lowry was the best Raptor this, this regular season. He was obviously better than DeRozan in the playoffs, but I just think you have to, for me, you have to have DeRozan on there just because wins are a thing that factors into the equation for me, probably more than others there. I mean, really there is no set formula for, you know, factoring in these all NBA teams, especially when the guard position was as loaded as it was this year. But I don't think any variation of how you shuffle the all NBA guards is a hot take or not. Now, if it was something like, you know, I'm going to, you know, put Raj, John Rondo on the all NBA team or something, then yeah, I would probably log off of this podcast right now. But um, I mean, any of the variation of, we all know who the guards were, you know, we all knew who, which guards were worthy of an all NBA spot this year. And it was, it was just too loaded. It was too loaded. I probably would have made the teams as they were without DeMar DeRozan on them. And then, looked at the third team, seen both Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns and decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna take DeMar over Jimmy Butler. But I think I would be willing to kick out one of Jimmy Butler or DeMar DeRozan to make sure Chris Paul made it onto one of these teams. Wait, I, I have to ask you, um, so what do you think about Carl uh, Anthony Towns versus Al Horford? Or why would, wait, did you say you would take out Paul George and put in Al Horford? Yes, put Al Horford as a forward because positionally he qualified for both. So I'm wondering why I'm wondering why Carl Anthony Towns would be on there for you. His defense in the second half of the season was average-ish, slightly below average, whereas his offense is almost unheard of just being a center who's pretty close to 50-40-90 numbers. <laughs> yeah. And as long as his defense is close to average, as opposed to just abysmal like it was his first two and a half years in the league, 
I think it's worth it. I mean, that would be that would be the tough spot for me. Would be who of Paul George, Jimmy Butler, or Carl Anthony Towns has to drop off these teams such that I can make sure Al Horford and Chris Paul both get spots. But it's not that I would be opposed to replacing Carl Anthony Towns with Al Horford straight up. It's just that I think that if you're going to, I guess if you're going to put a Timberwolf on the team, it probably makes more sense to have Jimmy Butler than Carl Anthony Towns. But the center spot is just weaker than either the forward spot or the guard spots at this point. So it's a little easier for me to have, say, the player who I think would be the 15th best player on the All-NBA teams be the third-team All-NBA center rather than sort of shuffling things around such that there's someone who maybe I'm not quite as sure about in one of the two forward spots or one of the two guard spots. That's fair. The All-NBA teams also need to just go positionless and name the best 15 players. (laughs) That's also the other thing. Yes, even though I went on my or made my case, that is for DeMar DeRozan to be there. Uh, the more I look at it, I I think I would almost, I don't want to back off that, but if if DeMar DeRozan was to be dropped from this list and Oladipo or Curry or something like that was moved up and it meant that Kyrie and or Chris Paul would make the list, I would be okay with that. Um, looking at DeMar DeRozan's numbers now, although he did make the adjustment to be a better three-point shooter and shoot more threes, um, he finished at 31% from three for the season, which Lonzo Ball got torn apart for at 30.5, yet DeRozan got complimented for at 31. So did uh, Embiid. So that just kind of kind of goes to show you how you don't want to let um, narratives drive things too much because all those players are certainly excellent. But DeRozan, at the end of the day, being on, being on there is fine. I think if... Paul or Irving were to get to that, I don't know, 65 to 70 game clip instead, then it would make sense for DeRozan to be dropped from the list. Let's move on to the all defensive teams. The all NBA, all defensive first team was Drew Holiday and Victor Oladipo as the guards, Robert Covington and Anthony Davis as the forwards, and Rudy Gobert at center. So Jordan, Robert Covington made first team all defense. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So for some reason, there are two things that uh, Sixers fans go to war over amongst each other, almost like a civil war. It's one after every game. If we win, it's the players. If we lose, it's Brett Brown's fault. And then also whether or not Robert Covington is an NBA player or not. And there have been a lot of well actuallys about Robert Covington's defense. And it's not all about one-on-one defense. And Robert Covington is an average to above average one-on-one defender. It's his elite off-ball defense that you know, allows the Sixers to become a primarily switching defense when you have J.J. Redick and Dario Saric, who can't jump over a phone book in the starting lineup and be able to become a top five defense. Um, He led the league in deflections. He was top 10 in steals. He was a great weak weak side uh, shot blocker. He's able to switch one through four. He had the highest um, on-off court defensive rating difference, and that's higher than Joel Embiid, who will probably finish second in Defensive Player of the Year voting. Um, Robert Covington was an important part of 
the Sixers defense all year and the fact that he got roasted by Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown in the playoffs doesn't change the fact that Covington was certainly worth I w- I was a little bit surprised he made first team. I thought he he was definitely going to make one of the teams. I thought he was most likely going to be second team, but he was definitely worthy of first team. And Nick, I appreciate appreciate you letting me let loose on Robert Covington because he is one of my favorite players. He's a great story. He three and D players don't grow on trees in the NBA as much as we like to say, oh, if this team needs a three and D player, this team needs a three and D player. And the fact that Sam Hinkie actually found a player like Robert Covington off the scrap heap during the tanking years and has become a legitimate NBA player and a great, great role player on a ridiculously cheap contract is just something that is going to immensely help the Sixers going forward in terms of team building. He was he was really good on defense all year, and he turned it up after the All-Star break. He, he was a beast um, after the All-Star break. You know, locked down Victor Oladipo, locked down Kimba Walker, locked down a bunch of primary ball handlers for other teams. Um, he's going to be a great role player for this team moving forward. And I'm just happy for Covington. I was glad to see Covington make the team. Um, I also thought that maybe he would be second team, but I'm, I'm okay with him making the first team. Um, he's a guy that, so the same people that will say that Paul George's production went down in the second half of the year. Um, and deservedly so because he had the, the extra assignment of guarding the opposing team's best player. Uh, the same people that say that don't seem to apply it to Covington, and they say, oh, yeah, but he's this, he's that on offense, or he didn't do this. Um, sure, he didn't have a great offensive season, but I think combined with his um, defensive statistics as well as the fact that he takes that one-on-one matchup of guarding the opposing team's best player uh, night in and night out, there's there's something to be said about that. You don't want the – certainly don't want Dario Saric doing that or – um, you don't want to put that pressure on Ben Simmons necessarily this early in his career. So his role on that team was really, really underrated. He was a very, very valuable piece. Valuable piece. Um, as far as Oladipo, I think that was a given, being on the first team, leading the league in steals at, I believe it was 2.6 per game. Um, Drew Holiday is somebody that has been underrated for far, far, far too long. Love Drew Holiday. Love him. Yes. Um, his, according to many people, he's just best known for start kickstarting the process in Philly. But um, as you know, he made an all-star team while playing with the Sixers. And look no farther than, again, this is a regular season award, but for those who didn't watch the Pelicans uh, too much throughout the year, look no farther than what he did to Damian Lillard in the playoffs. That was the same kind of defense he's been giving uh, game in and game out, uh, not just this season, but last year as well. He was guarding Kevin Durant too. <laughs> right, right. And he's only, you know, he's only 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so giving up about, I don't know, five, six inches in height there and still playing, you know, not lockdown defense by any means on KD because that's impossible, but playing pretty darn well against one of the top two or three players in the world. So combined with him and Anthony Davis, um, it really shows you the defensive ability the Pelicans have. As far as team defense, they weren't the best necessarily, but a lot of that had to do, in my opinion, with the high pace they played as well as kind of the mismatch 
or misfit starting five they had with Etwan Moore at small forward, that's not really going to put you in the best position to switch or the best position to play great team defense. But obviously they were good enough to uh, to win a playoff series and to at least give the Golden State Warriors a series. I mean, we knew the Warriors were going to win that series, but I think the world kind of really got to meet Drew Holiday in, in that series. So let's move on now to the second team all defense and also cover a couple of snubs in this section once we've read off all the names. So the second team was DeJounte Murray and Jimmy Butler at guard, Draymond Green and Al Horford as the forwards, and Joel Embiid at center. Now, I'm at least glad that Al Horford didn't get snubbed for the all defensive teams as well as the all NBA teams. But I'm a bit surprised that Paul George made an all-NBA team but didn't make an all-defensive team because I thought that his offensive impact was a bit overrated this year, but his defensive impact was really underrated. Now, the problem with George is that it's kind of hard to judge his defensive impact overall just because Andre Roberson was, I would say, arguably the best defensive player in basketball during the half of the season that he played. And George's numbers on defense looked a lot worse when Roberson left the lineup. Then again, the entire team's defensive numbers looked worse when Roberson left the lineup. So I think that Paul George should have made an all-defensive team. I guess the question there is, how do you shuffle around the rest of the team to make sure that he has a spot? What I probably would have done is moved DeJounte Murray off and then moved Victor Oladipo down to second team as a guard. And then if you have Oladipo and Jimmy Butler as the second team guards, you could maybe slot Paul George in at forward. The problem then is you'd have to bring... Mm. It's tough. That's the problem with these teams is that I really think that Paul George should have gotten a slot. And I think DeJounte Murray is probably the person I think he should have gotten a slot over. But then you need to shuffle the rest of the teams such that you can cover up for effectively putting a forward in in place of a guard. Uh, so that's the problem that I was talking about with earlier. Um, there's you know two guards, two forwards, and a center. I think it, you should either have it it's hard to say that all defensive teams should be positionless because um, you do need to, I guess, have some continuity when it comes to all defensive teams. Um, but I do think maybe like two guards and three forwards or something of something of that nature, because I was I was uh, reading Zach Lowe's all NBA picks, you know, before we started this podcast and he was having trouble, you know, of what players to put where because, you know, he was trying to shuffle around Covington and Anthony Davis and all these guys who were forwards, but were guarding guards also. And it's just really, it's, it's really tough. Um, it doesn't surprise me that Paul George got left off the team. Um, he could, he, de- I could definitely see a case for it, but I mean, um, I don't think he should have made it over Draymond, Jimmy Butler, even Robert, even Robert Covington. And that might sound a little bit biased coming from my end. But to me, the I thought Josh Richardson of the uh, Miami Heat had a really, really good case to um, 
make one of the all defensive teams. And look, DeJounte Murray was a good choice. Um, He was definitely, I mean, for all of his offensive shortcomings, he was definitely, you know, the Spurs best, I would say the, along with Danny Green, their best perimeter defender, especially because Kawhi was gone for for the entire season and what is one of the weirdest stories I have ever seen in the NBA. And this is from a fan base that saw Markel Fultz's jump shot just disappear out of thin air. But I thought DeJounte Murray um, was a fine choice. I personally would have had Richardson in there just because I thought he was the Heat's best player, the their most impactful player. He was guarding... Um, he was guarding the best, uh, the best player or the most important player on the other team every night. The dude is a dog chasing shooters off of, um, off of screens, off ball. He is a great on ball defender. Um, he has really long freakish arms and gets his hands in every possible weak side steal poking the ball away. I thought Josh Richardson definitely had a really strong case to make it on one of the all defensive teams, even the first defensive team over drew holiday. And I thought holiday should have been on one of them, but definitely I think I would have put him over DeJounte Murray. When I imagine my all underrated Mount Rushmore, I look at drew holiday and Josh Richardson. Um, As you summed up perfectly, Josh Richardson was a huge threat on defense this year. I would have personally liked to see his spot or see Draymond Green's spot go to him on the second team. Don't get me wrong, Draymond Green is an elite, versatile defender. But since this is a regular season award, I think we think we can all kind of agree, in a sense at least, that the Warriors weren't always pushing the pedal to the middle in the regular season, especially on defense. There were definitely games where they obviously weren't playing um, with the level of effort that we've seen throughout the playoffs. And... Especially in the first 55 to 60 games of the season. Oh, exactly. It wasn't until late in the year that they seemed to kind of really step it up and kind of really prepare themselves for the playoffs. Um, With Josh Richardson, when you look at his steals, I think he was only uh, 1.1 per game or something like that. But that doesn't really show the whole story. Um, On the Heat, they're kind of notorious for running those rotations where a lot of their, even their better players like uh, Richardson and Dragic might finish more in the 28 to 29 minutes uh, range more often than not. Um, I think if he was on a team that played with a a faster pace as well as a team that really allowed him to get his full amount allotment of minutes, I think that we would see him flirt with two steals per game. No question. Um, Maybe similar to the way the world kind of realized how good a defender drew holiday was this year and Robert Covington, maybe next year that'll happen for Josh Richardson. If you look at his um, stats in virtually every category, offensive and defensively, he seems to improve basically every every season. I don't see any reason why he won't improve even further next year. He also doesn't seem to get talked about a lot because because of how solid that team that Heat team is. It's almost a curse and a sense of the recognition they receive. You've got guys like James Johnson, Justice Winslow guys like that that play versatile roles on the wing. So when you think of Josh Richardson, his role is also played and played well by other players on that team. So it's it's not really clear unless you watch the Heat all the time that he's one of their top couple players. Um, like I said, he's one of the most underrated players in the league, and he's quickly turning into one of the best on-ball defenders in the league as well. But his off-ball defense, as you alluded to, can't be 
can't be slept on. Those 1.1 steals per game, as we mentioned, aren't really reflective of his overall ability. He's consistently clogging the passing lanes in addition to locking down the opposing team's best wing player. So I think the biggest snub by far for me on the defensive team would be Josh Richardson. I would take Draymond Green off. I, I thought about DeJounte Murray, but I, I think his spots, his spots are right there, especially without the lack of, of a true point guard. So at the end of the day, I'd keep the second team, but just swap out Draymond Green for Josh Richardson. All right, let's move on to the most engaging part of the podcast for the three of us, namely the all-rookie teams, because we all get to at least talk about someone. So let's start with the first team. We have Ben Simmons in a true shocker. I don't think anyone would have expected him there. Donovan Mitchell, another another real shocker. No one would have expected him <laughs> to make first team. Jason Tatum, completely unexpected. Who would have ever guessed that he would have made first team all-rookie? And then Kyle Kuzma, who I can't as sarcastically say he shouldn't have made the all-rookie team because there's at least an argument that he shouldn't have been first team. And then... Larry Markkinen, who falls into a similar boat. So any thoughts from either of you about any changes you would have made to that first team? We'll get to the second team in a minute, obviously. Uh, My only thought is Larry Markkinen is going to be really, really good. I was not high on Markkinen coming out of Arizona, but because I thought he was, I thought he, first of all, I thought he was slender I thought he got bullied on the boards. He rebounded like a guard. I thought he was strictly just a shooter. He did not show the post moves that he had in chi- that, that he showed in. He did not have the post moves at Arizona that he showed in Chicago. The dude is athletic. I did not realize how athletic marketing was. And it also it it keeps reminding me every year that college systems suck and really hold players back. So Laurie Marketing is going to be good. Other than that, no, the first team I'm. I, I completely agree with all of it. <laughs> I didn't have much of a problem with it. Um, obviously, a little bias is going to shine through here, but I would have loved to see Lonzo Ball on there instead of Larry Markkinen. Uh, both players did miss um, significant time. Lonzo Ball only played in 52 games, but he did put together a, a nice stat line for a 20-year-old. 10.2 points a game, um, 6.9 rebounds, and 7.2 assists while averaging a combined 2.5 steals and blocks per game. If you watched the Lakers in depth this year, you saw that they were a profoundly worse team when he was off the court. They did go through some stretches where Brandon Ingram moved to point guard and made up for his absence a little bit. But for the most part, when he was off the court, uh, not only did Brandon Ingram perform worse, but Kyle Kuzma performed worse as well. I think Kyle Kuzma kind of stole more, well, he didn't steal more of the spotlight, but maybe in terms of the all-rookie first team, he stole more of the spotlight because of his scoring, which is much better than Lonzo. But I think that at the end of the day, if you're breaking down Laurie Markkinen versus Lonzo Ball season and the, the impact they had on their team, I think you've got to go with Lonzo Ball. Um, Markkinen's going to have a fantastic career. There's no doubt about that. But I think the impact was was made more by Lonzo, who... We haven't even talked about his defense yet. Um, at the defensive end, he was spectacular. There was throughout much of the year, his um, he was in the the top, I believe, twenty in on ball defense, and that's not um, that's not something that was among rookies or among rookie point guards or among point guards or anything, but throughout the whole league. So, 
something people forget about him often is he's uh six five with with great length and um maybe only average athleticism but his iq more than makes up for that he's always kind of uh in the right place at the right time and as he grows and develops as a player i think you'll see him make a lot more of those marcus smarty type plays for lack of a better term where he makes what is almost a you could almost call a dumb play because leaving leaving your man wide open but it's because of his ball hawking instincts where he goes to pick off a pass out of nowhere or go disrupt a passing lane where you wouldn't even expect him to be so i'm excited to see what he can do moving forward it's not a huge snub for him to be on the second team but i would like to see him on over marketing so let's get to that second team quickly, led by Lonzo Ball, as we already talked about. The other four second team selections, Dennis Smith Jr., Bogdan Bogdanovich, Josh Jackson, and John Collins. As a Kings fan, I would have been really, really disappointed and upset if Bogdan hadn't made one of the two all-rookie teams. I thought he was the best player on the Kings this season. I didn't think it was really all that close for most of the year. He might be a 25-year-old rookie, which maybe limits your perception of his ceiling, but it showed in his really top-tier basketball IQ. He's an incredible shooter, and his all-around game, I think, made him definitely worthy of a second-team slot. The one snub that I did want to bring up, at least briefly, I thought that Jared Allen had more of an impactful season for the Nets than John Collins did for the Hawks. I mean, Allen was effectively the best big man on the Nets for almost the entire season. And even though he didn't start for much of the year, part of that due to him still being way too thin to really be a full-time NBA center, his shot blocking instincts were incredible. His offensive game was way farther along than I thought it would be after his first year in Texas. And it's not a big complaint, just because I think John Collins had a pretty solid season as well, but I would have definitely gone with Jared Allen over either Collins or Josh Jackson, who, while he did have a pretty solid second half of the year, his first half of the year was bad enough that I think maybe you could have selected Allen over him and had a better team overall. I agree. I would have liked to see um, Jared Allen make the second team as well. You could have taken off Collins or Jackson. I think Jackson racked up enough stats to be on that second team, but as you kind of alluded to, a lot of that in the second half of the year was just due to there not really being anybody else out there on the court for the Suns. I mean, Tyler Eulis was starting at point guard for them, of all people. And then um, it's kind of a kind of obvious how bad Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender were for much of the season. So once Warren and Booker were out, it was kind of just up to Jackson. And they didn't miss a ton of time, but enough time for to kind of elevate Jackson's stats. As far as Bogdanovich, I'm very happy he made the second team. I completely agree that he was the best uh, player on the Kings this season. It was very maddening and very frustrating to see him play these limited minutes for stretches of the year when he would play 18 or 21 minutes or something like that. Um, he's a guy that should definitely be out there 30 plus minutes a night. And like you said, Nick, he's definitely the King's best player. So I'm glad they didn't arbitrarily put Deer and Fox on there. No disrespect to him, but 
Bogdanovich did have the better season. So I was happy with that. Yeah, I am not a Kings fan, but I also would have been really disappointed and upset if Bogdan Bogdanovich, a.k.a. Bogey, did not make the second team. And if it wasn't for Nick, I would be president, chief president of the Bogdan Bogdanovich fan club. I absolutely love his game. He's a great passer. He's a really good shooter, especially off the dribble. And the dude has no problem making big shots. Weirdly, the Kings were in a lot in a lot of close games this year where big shots and game winners were possible. And I thought Bogdan Bogdanovich was really playing well beyond his years in those situations. And, you know, just a little aside note, if if you guys either end up with Aiton or Luka Doncic, or especially Doncic, the passing between those two are going to be in, is going to be insane. And the fact that I live in Sacramento and that I can get cheap Kings tickets, it, that's going to be that's going to be great for me. It's uh, it, uh, it, I'm completely thinking selfishly here, but I would love to see that combination in person. Um, I could definitely see a case over Jared Allen. I love the pick. I love the pick when Brooklyn made it. Um, I thought it was definitely a Kenny Atkinson pseudo processy type of pick that the Nets would make. I love Allen's wingspan. Uh, also love his hair. Um, it's very retro throwback to the seventies. Um, but uh, I've, I've Allen definitely had a solid case. I would have left Jackson on there if I were to, you know, if you were to convince me to put Allen on one of the teams, I would have replaced John Collins. I just thought, well, one, John Collins didn't really get the playing time he should have gotten at the beginning because, you know, he was playing, you know, with sharing minutes with Dwayne Dedman, Mike Muscala, and all the, <laughs> and just really just a bunch of bad Hawks bigs. Um, but he really, you know, shined in the uh, second half of the season. And also, just one quick side note, this was, I don't know um, when the last time this happened for you guys, but I feel like this is one of the best rookie defensive uh, defensive rookie classes that I've ever seen. Like, I've never seen this many rookies make an impact on the defensive end. I don't know about you guys, but I really feel like there are a lot of good defensive rookies um this season oh i totally agree i completely agree yeah i also very strongly agree i mean i don't think it's even just that there were a lot of solid rookie contributors on the defensive end this year i think it's that basically every year i can think of other than this one the vast majority of the rookie class ranged between terrible and completely clueless on the defensive end. Yeah. And just with Ben Simmons and Lonzo Ball alone, I think those two probably made more of a defensive impact than most rookie classes in their entirety. And that's before you get into someone like Jared Allen, who I think was a really underrated defender for the Nets. Bam Adebayo. Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell... I mean, I'm not as sold on his defense as I am sold on his offense, but Bam Adebayo had a really solid impact for the Heat in limited minutes as well. It just seems like there are defenders in this rookie class that are already solid and only going to get better, as opposed to most years where it's like, all right, this guy was the least terrible on defense of this rookie group. It really does seem like most years we're we're trying to find the guys that were the least terrible on defense as far as the rookie class goes. I think the difference this year, uh, you summed it up perfectly, but with guys like Mitchell and Tatum, they weren't necessarily 
great defenders as a rookie, but you saw flashes where you can you can tell that at least at least slightly above average defensive potential is there. Um, obviously, we're more excited about their offensive games, but I don't know if I could say future All NBA defender for either of them, but it wouldn't surprise me if that happened at some point. So I think that that's that's definitely um, a noticeable change with this year's rookie class. All right. Anything else before we wrap up here? Um, I would say um, Bam Adebayo. Um, I completely forgot about bringing him up until you guys did. Um, he was really fun to watch this year, and I think that people are slowly starting to realize that. Bye bye, Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, that Hassan Whiteside's game is not going to uh, really be a huge part of the Heat or possibly any team. <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of a hot take, but moving forward, I think Bam Adebayo is definitely um, more of an impactful player for what he brings on the defensive end and his athleticism as well i think about a year from now your take is not going to be so hot because i'm right there with you (laughs) yep well that makes three of us (laughs) (laughs) i'm just so thankful the lakers didn't offer him a big deal or a big trade for him or something like that that would have just been horrible just my just my big thing is uh this 2017 draft while you know there's a lot of you know comparisons obviously people are going to go back to the 2003 draft class and this draft class while i'm not too sure how many hall of famers this draft class will have i will say that this draft class is much is a lot deeper i don't even think it's close in terms of depth but it's it has a lot more depth and a lot more contributors just ranging from the first to the second round this rookie class was really just a revelation oh yeah if i had to um Looking at just the top-heavy 03 draft there, um, you've got similarities here, at least, with Simmons, Mitchell, and Tatum kind of as clearly the top three for right now. But after the after the Carmelo, Wade, and LeBron, and I guess you can include Bosch, after that uh, group in the 03 draft, it really, really dropped off a lot if you, you know compare those players to those top four. Whereas here on our second team, I think this is arguably the strongest rookie second team we've had, at least in in recent memory. So definitely a big difference in terms of depth. And hopefully we can see another big draft class uh, coming up this year. And certainly huge pluses for all three of us who are fans of teams that have players on these all rookie teams. Yeah. All right. Well, they are Jordan Christmas and Nathan Smith. You can find Jordan on Twitter at sports talk X M A S he blew up pretty recently for calling people out on their Joel Embiid-related hypocrisy. <laughs> I'm Twitter famous. <laughs> and is a good follow, good follow even beyond that brief moment of Twitter fame. You can also find <laughs> his work on the hashtag basketball website, and you can find his work semi-frequently on this podcast and also on his Open Gym podcast, which he just started up recently. And the hashtag Sixers podcast. And the hashtag Sixers podcast. There you go. Jordan's all over the place. You can also find Nate on Twitter at NateSmithNBA. Also, be sure to check out his work on the hashtag basketball website. He also will have an article coming out soon about the all-underrated team, which we talked about briefly throughout the podcast. So definitely be on the lookout for that when it comes out. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.